Hey friends, this is Fun Therapy, and my name is Mike Foster. And together we're going to dive into the messy and the horrible and the brutal but beautiful parts of life. And we do it all with a smile. Because when we're hurt and when life lets us down, when there's pain, life can feel oh so heavy. But maybe it feels heavy to you right now because you picked up something along the way that doesn't belong to you. Shame or guilt or fear or a belief that you're not loved. We do this in our stories and especially when we're hurt or traumatic things happen, we pick these things up and maybe through these discussions we can figure out what belongs and what needs to go, what needs to be embraced and what needs to be released. Ultimately, so the burden isn't so heavy and we can live more free. My name is Mike Foster, and this is Fun Therapy. Well, before we get started with this session, I want to tell you about a new, brand new book that my wife and I have been working on for the past year. And it's called Five Dates, and it's specifically for couples, uh, whether you're dating, engaged, or married, it's a his and her workbook to help create closeness and intimacy and connection in your relationship. Now, we have a bit of a counterintuitive approach to relational development, and we basically say this, don't work on your problems, work on your togetherness. That's the starting place to actually address the bigger problems in your relationship. But if you don't have togetherness, you don't have oneness, there's a sense of unity. It's gonna be really difficult to work on problems. A lot of couples make that mistake. And so if this sounds something like something you wanna do with your partner, uh, fivedates.co is the website and you can order the workbooks there. Uh, They're not available at Amazon, just fivedates.co and notcom.co, C-O. You can also see a photo of my wife and I, uh, of my beautiful wife, Jennifer, We've been together now for 27 years. And guess what? We still dig each other. So if you want to still dig each other after 27 years, five dates, fivedates.co. In this episode of Fun Therapy, my friends Jay and Catherine Wolf join me. They're the authors of the book, Hope Eels, a true story of overwhelming loss and an overcoming love. In 2008, Catherine suffered a massive brainstem stroke. She was 26 years old at the time, and now the life that her and Jay had dreamed of together was now permanently altered. Almost 10 years later, the aftershocks of that moment still remain. Catherine's face is permanently paralyzed. She needs a wheelchair to get around. Her speech and hearing are still impacted. It's been an excruciating yet beautiful road that has led the Wolf family to finding a new normal in almost every aspect of their life. In this session, we are gonna talk about their marriage and family and the things that they have learned when life gives you something unexpected. And now this honest but hope-amplifying session of Fun Therapy with Jay and Catherine Wolf.
what's the hardest thing about life and marriage right now? Hmm. Um, at this stage, for sure, having a two-year-old and a mom that is severely disabled and um, now a 10-year-old and doing life day-to-day is intense for us, I would say. And um, I, I can't drive, and that's pretty difficult, and I can barely walk. So just the physicality of our lives is an unexpected difficulty in some ways. And um, the logistics of making it all work, um, I feel like are more complicated than maybe we would have thought um, when this all went down. Yeah, I think in our marriage, in a lot of ways, I think we're really at a good place of holding it loosely while being all in, that sort of tension. Right. Um, but I think it's been interesting with parenthood as that continues to change in different seasons with our kids. So we have a two-year-old and a 10-year-old. And so uh, even with our two-year-old, it's you, we're learning all of that stage anew because when our eldest was two, Catherine was in brain rehab. You know, we were not tracking in the same way as parents. And, and I think um, probably what's challenging for me, um, I think in my role who is a dad and sort of uh, juggling some different hats in the life of our family is just is managing those expectations on my kids of what they will become, what I don't want them to become, what I don't want to screw them up and inadvertently help them to become and all those sort of um, things that sort of uh, rumble around in parents' heads and hearts all the time. And so, I, yeah, I would say, you know, it's a gift probably due to a lot of the just the desperation for the Lord and each other over these 10 years of doing, you know, it has really changed, I think, how our brains are even wired together in a way that's both um, extremely challenging because we're just in it, in in all of the depth of it. And yet, unlike a lot of marriages where there's just two separate sort of lives coexisting in the same house, we're really intertwined in a very deep way. And so that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of struggle because of course when you're deeply yeah, intertwined, you're feeling course. each other's stuff. You're right. you know, it's just um it's deep. Just the the walk together is really deep. And yet um And yet I don't know if that's wrong. It's interesting. Somehow that deep best mm-hmm. friend connect, like we'd want to hang out together. Um, and we have to hang out together, right. and we want to hang out together. Like chicken or the egg there has created something very beautiful, a contentedness that many people in marriage don't reach um, because they didn't buy into that. They didn't like make their spouse the ultimate priority since we didn't have a lot of choices. We're caregiver, care receiver relationship. It forced kind of an intimacy that perhaps isn't always there in marriage because you don't need that, which classically depravity kind of breeds something beautiful in some ways. Desperation means you kind of have to cultivate something that wouldn't have been born otherwise. And that's very special. I think, too, like, you know, this is opening up a different can of worms talking about codependency. But in so many ways, we really are codependent. And I think that... um, which is such a dirty Maybe, word, well, and, and yet... I'm saying the manifestation of it has just been what it has had to be. You know, when you can't get out of the bathtub without somebody helping you, you are dependent on them. Right. And Jay I, shaves my uh, armpits. 
I do. And among other things, you know, just just the dailiness of life requires e- each other to fulfill it. We and can we can be in a terrible fight right before bed, and Jay still has to put lube in my eye that can't moisturize at night. So he has to literally get right up in my face and put my lube in. And that dynamic is fascinating. We're in the middle of a rock and fight. The last thing you want is to get in each other's face <laughs> and serve each yeah, other. But it's really it's yeah. a sweet thing because we can be mid anger and yet there's a tenderness there I think that's very um very important for spouses to keep that level of kindness and gentleness and tenderness toward each other when they feel nothing but the opposite because you really you really do have a relationship a very unique relationship and there's these dynamics of and you one of the things I love about both of you is you're so hopeful you're so like positive in the midst of real real struggle right how do you deal with the anger it's it's fascinating um i think initially after the stroke i went through a period of i mean obviously a ton of emotions my life had been turned upside down but i think there was definitely a deep frustration that was probably the Catherine Wolf version of legit anger because I'm not wired super angry, but I can get frustrated and feel very anxious, probably. Anxiety is more my deal. And um, I think I had to come to a place of really making peace. I had to lean in and just let it let it be, which is so much easier said than done. But I, I kind of came to a place of recognizing this is my life now. Am I going to fight it forever or am I going to lean in and let Jay get me out of the bathtub every day for the last 10 years, which in some ways stinks. I don't want that. And yet um, the best thing that I've probably been able to do post-stroke, and I take no credit, God really worked on me in this way, to lean in, to just really let myself feel the emotions and not fight back and say, wait, that's not what a good Christian girl should do. She can't be upset by this, but really say, I am upset and I feel that and I cry and I'm okay. And there's no um, deep guilt or shame or judgment in that, but just a free, like, I'm here and I'm showing up and this is not what I thought my life would look like. And similarly, I imagine you've done that too and that's probably made all the difference for us. I love what Catherine said about desperation means you have to cultivate something beautiful. This couple has no choice but to fight for hope in their lives. Everything changed when Catherine had that stroke. Everything. The marriage changed, the relationship changed, their parenting changed, even their fights changed. Can you imagine getting into a huge fight with your spouse and then having to serve them by putting lube in their eye? Catherine nails it when she says, Instead of fighting against what is true of their lives and her condition, instead of rage and despair, they leaned into the pain. They just let it be, feeling all the emotions and crying. And then 
when we do that, there's this sense that I am going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, I think we're um, so intertwined, but extremely different. Like oh. our brains are wired really differently. Our um, just upbringings, family systems of origin, you know, all these things created really different individuals. And yet complementary in a lot of profound ways, especially as we look back over 10 years and think, oh, that's why you were that way. And that was, you know, what kind of God was orchestrating to help you be able to flourish in a really unusual way uh, after so many things had changed. And and yet, um, yeah, there's a lot of, I think, I deal with anger too. Um, that manifests differently. I'm a pretty like, chill, stable person in most ways. But I think what's been really empowering is to be able to express anger to Catherine, not necessarily at her, but just that I'm feeling. Um, I think so often um, men sort of hold in those negative emotions of things they cannot fix. And it's intertwined with shame. It's intertwined with identity issues of just like what they should be able to do and hold. And um, so I think it's been really, it's been powerful to not unload at Catherine about Catherine, but um, to just be able to be real with her about what I'm experiencing and to know that she can hold that and know that I'm not going to leave her in the midst of my frustration or anger. You know, there's there's a trust there that um, I can express really what I'm feeling and she can receive that. And, um, do you ever feel like you have to protect her from your feelings? Um, probably in certain seasons I did. And I think, you know, that's the real, um, second layer to the, the whole vulnerability conversation is, uh, vulnerability is also about timing uh-huh. and it's about empathy yeah. to your listener. Um, you know, it's not always the right time to say everything <laughs> that you want to say Wait, sorry, to person, no, I right? have to tell the story that but, the doctors, way back when I was in the hospital, mm-hmm. told Jay I would never eat food again. They didn't think I'd eat, that um, I wouldn't swallow food. And he never told me they said that because he didn't believe it was true. So I worked so hard in speech therapy for months with no progress, failed swallow tests left and right, um, and doing like exercises at home to relearn to swallow. Like I was so motivated that I would swallow again after enough work was put in. After enough prayer, after enough work, I would get there. It would just take time. Never knowing that I would quote unquote never eat again. And I think the result speaks for itself. I eat plenty of food now, and I didn't know that I wouldn't, quote-unquote, eat again. So Jay was super wise in withholding that. And timing in the vulnerability conversation is crucial. That's a good point. Yeah, I think, you know, if your listener does not have the agency to help be a part of a positive resolution— you know, you really have to have discernment of if it's appropriate in the right time to let them hold that. You know, it wasn't really wasn't appropriate in the midst of life falling apart and brain rehab and insurmountable odds to try to regain basic function to say, oh, yeah, they really aren't thinking this is going to happen for you. So I, you know, I held that and I felt that was appropriate. Um, and, And I think it's translated, though, years later to, you know, Catherine being just one of the strongest 
people I know, and she um, can hold a lot, uh, and yet she's a real person too. And so, you know, it, just knowing each other as well as we do, there are there are seasons and moments and things that it's just like, you know, maybe this is going to go better if I just hold this tonight, and maybe tomorrow after coffee. Do you do you feel um, obviously a lot of people know your story? Um, both the challenges and the things that you guys have overcome. A lot of people are aware of that. Do you feel a pressure to inspire people? I don't think our marriage is much. That's kind of a byproduct inspirational thing that, I mean, it's cool, but we didn't do that. I mean, we are married, so it happened. But of course, I feel a positive um pressure it's not negative it's not like i gotta like be happy i'm because i'm not always happy but i feel like i get to live out loud a hard story and that's part of what makes it such a beautiful story is that other people care that i get to um to sort of share this this journey through life that looked pretty opposite of what i would have thought but um it's, it's weird, and I don't feel any pressure to inspire, but I feel um, like an obligation in a good way because, because I'm so full of just a good stuff inside me thing. It's hard to put into words. I feel a deep joy, so I can't help but overflow in that. So it's kind of like the opposite of pressure. It's more like a privilege, I think, and I feel like... For me, I mean, it's just so unrelatable. I hate talking about all this, honestly, but I don't totally care. But I feel like my wheelchair in my whole life now is like like really unique. And like it, it speaks, it stands out. And that's it's a very special opportunity. I never would have chosen this, obviously, but um, it's like God, chose me and I mean that's pretty unique and special and like I kind of like I feel excited about that. As you think about your wounds, the parts of your story that left a dent on your soul, do you embrace the idea or the truth of how that makes you special and unique? Catherine says that she's living out loud a very hard story. There's no hiding from it. The wheelchair stands out. The, the facial paralysis stands out. The speech issues, it all stands out. It marks her and she cannot hide. And so the response is only one response. It's only this sense of courageous reckoning where she says, this is me. This is who I am. My weaknesses on full display. What an amazing way to live. I think too, we've seen um, years ago, kind of coalescing with the digital age really coming to great fruition. You know, it's been about 10 years since Catherine Stroke, so. Um, it's been a huge part of our story, I think, to disseminate our needs and our prayers from the day of her stroke to people all over the world who are praying and tracking. 
But then you also see sort of this arc of a new generation saying, I'm not going to believe what you're telling me at its face value unless I really feel you're telling me the truth from a, from a core place. You know, you're not trying to sell me something. And so as we sort of got to share our story in different contexts and have for uh, many years now, at first we were a little apprehensive. You know, we're like, we're like so... Just we're showing like marriage therapy. It's so awkward. It's so random. Catherine's ranting. I'm having to cut her off. She's taking the <laughs> mic back. Like it's like can people connect with this? It's the it's like the opposite of a TED talk. Seriously? And like we were kind of insecure about that, and yet we still felt like this was a calling. And yet it was really powerful to see people, not in spite of that authenticity, vulnerability thing, but because of it, right. really. Yeah. Believing us, yeah. really connecting with us, really thinking if you can do it, maybe I can too in my totally different circumstance. And so seeing that, uh, I think neuroscientists say, be, you know, if you have an empathic listener, it changes the way you view your story. It literally rewires the neurons to say, here's the story I, I want to re-narrate to myself. And so a lot of times when we speak places, people will thank us for coming to give something to their congregation, but we always say it's a little bit selfish because what we gain um, from getting to retell our story to ourselves right. changes everything. So in a sense, there's not a whole lot of pressure to inspire because it is such a 360 sort of experience of getting to tell a true story, not just the highlight reels, because that's nobody has time for that. That's not, you know, nobody wants to engage something they feel is so out there. Um, but yet knowing that in the showing up and telling and being present in the worst moments and the best moments of our life to people we may never see again, God shows up there in a way that's really transformational for everybody involved. And so that motivates us to keep leaning into the telling of it. And I think further, there is a way that the sharing of our stories helps us to, to continue wanting to show up and continue writing that story right um again not in a not in a false way or like a revisionist history way or like i'm living this for somebody else but to say there is an element we get to write of the story ourselves, no matter what ends up happening i mean even this past spring catherine had this new issue uh in her brain where she could have had another major stroke and you just kind of I was didn't see that coming, you know, and um, yeah, and yet to say, gosh, I, I remember sitting in the hospital. We were there for four days, just, you know, out of the blue, and the same uh, doctor who's been her neurosurgeon for years and saved her life originally, who we literally named <laughs> our second child after. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were just talking with him, and it's like, gosh, what all these things we've been saying, right, are true. Yeah, because we're here sitting in this unexpected place again and we feel at peace with it. And it's not just a show. It's not just like a, we better finagle this or else like the ministry won't go on or something. It's like it just is true because God is doing the things he said he's going to do and we've been telling ourselves who he is and our role in all of this for so long it has actually sunk in to be the real deal when we needed it to be. Yeah. Um, and so that, that was just affirming, ironically, in a really kind of a bummer situation, you know, a couple months ago. It was just like, wow, this, 
we don't feel so f afraid, and that's amazing. There's something very powerful about talking to yourself, <laughs> about preaching to your own heart, that it does impact how you can move forward. Um, in those moments when you're like, I, I don't think I could handle this, but you're like, but wait, I've seen and I've tracked how this has gone down and I'm gonna trust God again. When I work with people, it always amazes me how many of them have never really fully gone back and looked at their story. To really sit with it, to sit with all of it. I like to do that exercise and spend a couple hours just unpacking that story, not to stir up the pain from the past or open up old wounds, but when we know our stories and we can step back and see it holistically, we can gain a new appreciation for who we are. And we can see within our stories our true strength, to see how far we've come. So for Jay and Catherine, in telling of their story over and over again, it unleashes this sense of gratitude for life. Our stories are breadcrumbs that lead us back to the truth of who we are. We must understand our stories. We must be able to speak our stories, to see how it all fits together. And most importantly, to see how far we've come. What's been, what's been your biggest fight recently? What's the thing that's causing the most tension? I feel like we've had some fights really, but I can't really remember <laughs> ever after them what they're about, because they're usually so dumb. What's been recently what we fought about? And then we have a fight in Arkansas. <laughs> For better or worse, our brains are just, they don't hold a lot of <laughs> short-term memory, apparently. I think a lot of our, um, again, the tensions that we hold in our marriage, in my opinion, have to do with um, the future. And, That's and, true. You know, and the reality of how, and we both know it, like how little we control of that. And yet I think, especially Catherine, again, who's just open-handedly, stepped into a life where she knows she can't control much of anything. And so there's areas that naturally she wants to know, like, what's the plan? Like, what are we doing? That like, was how just do we control? spoken in the nicest way possible. Oh, thank, thank you. you. I tried I'm very to choose, controlling. Choose my yeah. words carefully. I know you, you really, you did a really good job at thank sharing you. that one. You want to control... But I can, because I can't control so much. And so does that control Jay, or is it just, just the decision, or what's getting controlled? Good question. Um, I, I mean, I, I want to control everything in my life to some degree. My children, my house, my finances, my, my world, because yeah. I'm so out of control of so many things. I don't know. Do you feel like I try to control you? Good question. Well, I mean, I, I actually don't, I wouldn't view it as control in the normal dynamics. And that's probably the strange gift of the dynamics that we have where um, I can sort of not psychoanalyze, but I can see like, oh, I, I see why you're trying to control that instead of just the knee jerk of like, 
what do you like? Why do you think you get to control that? Like that's I should get to control that. Like, which I think is just typical in marriage. It's like it's the the little bit of the tug of oh, war. Oh yeah, but like, you are a smart man to think deeper of. Wait, why does she feel that I way? I don't know if I'm smarter. Just it's so obvious in front of me what's um, what's going through your process. And I think um, we talk a lot about like you know Catherine's in a wheelchair. When we roll up in a crowd, nobody's like. Nobody's unaware that something deep right. has gone on in our life and our story. They're like, wait, she's young. Why is she in a wheelchair? So there's there's strange gifts to the outward manifestation of brokenness. Like we've all got our stuff internally. We all have invisible wheelchairs. Um, we're all disabled. But there's a strange little silver lining to wearing that on the outside. And I think in the context of marriage, it's just it's a, it's a quicker reminder of like I'm dealing with you trying to work through your stuff right now and I want to like be a part of the healing process of that and not resent God like what I wanted to do is not I can't do it now you know or like why are you like holding on to this so tightly like I can I can sort of get the bigger picture more quickly when I look at you and your life and what you're what you're grasping for you know so I can enter into that not to say it's right or wrong that you're feeling that control but I don't take it as personally so on its face, maybe. Which we'll call it redeemed control. Yeah, yeah. That's but right. there's still some things that I would imagine you feel you're out of control on a particular decision or you're not yeah. not being understood in something and she's maybe having too much say in whatever dynamic yeah. it might be. Absolutely. I think, And I think um, the way our marriage works still, there's a lot of... Um, I mean, Catherine's sort of front of the house and I'm back of the house. And some people don't, <laughs> probably wouldn't know that. They think, oh, who's that? Oh, it's Jay. He's, I thought Catherine was taking her own selfies of her life and writing, you know. And so that's kind of a funny dynamic that um, we, like I love how we're wired and I love that we get to lift each other up in our giftings. And Catherine is... Um, um, has always sort of said like you like I well let's make this decision together but I know I have some of these issues and so I want like I trust you in some of your like in some of my sort of discernment and wisdom and like um, you know usually if we go a certain direction as a family that we've decided you're not like you know maybe that wasn't your first pick but you're not like I am gonna dig my heels in and done like you we both sort of like are open-handed enough with our lives because we've seen how fragile they are, how out of control it is. And so we, yeah, we want to, yeah. you know, we, we really live wholeheartedly with it, but open-handedly too, is that's sort of tension I keep saying a lot, but that's really just the go-to sort of visual and phrase. Well, also what this is, we trust each other. Like, even if I'm not like 100% like, oh, that's such an awesome way to go. I'm like, but I trust you. And if you think it is, I'm going. I think, like, in microcosmic ways, like, you know, it's really hard for Catherine to walk. It's really hard for her to carry stuff. So she will, you know, maybe the fourth time she asks me to go get something when we're in bed watching a TV, I'm like, this is the final call. Okay, <laughs> so get your order in. I think there are some um, control issues just inherent in disability and caregiving and all that that, you know, even 10 years later, can rub you wrongly and just be frustrating. 
Right, um, and it's honestly both sides. Like, sure. I feel controlled by Jay many times because Jay has to control my life and my stuff and right. my brain that's not um, thinking through the outcome of this weird decision type thing. No, that's good. I mean, it, it totally is a two-way street in every regard. I mean, it's not just like, okay, you're right. at the it's, mercy yeah. of, you know, this person who is struggling with control, and so you're going to have to just see to that. You know, Catherine's like, if you tell me again I'm going to spill something on my shirt, like, I'm going to slap you in the face and stop it. <laughs> you know, because I'm like a little OCD about these things. I've had to mic micromanage the details of life. Well, you've been washing my time. shirts for 10 years. Yeah, Mike, you don't on. do the laundry. So when I say don't spill on your shirt, I mean that lovingly because <laughs> I hate doing laundry and I have to do it. And I'm since like, stop spilling. Face, my mouth yeah. is numb on one side. Food drips under my shirt pretty much every meal. Yeah, so I'm the jerk who's like, you know, OCDing about the stains and they're like, you know, thank God your wife can eat. And I'm like, I, I, I totally agree with that but I just I don't want to have to do any more stain treatment on the shirts and the right. laundry so it's just funny you know it, it manifests in in big and small ways but I think gosh just the gift of touching life and death at a young age yeah is profound in that it informs how you see the long journey of life, the unexpectedly short journey of life and everything in between. And so, you know, you don't wake up every morning like, this is a miracle, but like you get there a lot more quickly. Yeah, yeah. Than um, perhaps a life that never touched the fragility of it earlier on. And, you know, by the world standards, like what, what a, what, there couldn't be a bigger tragedy than in the golden moments of youth and, you know, the possibility of a couple who had a lot of things going for them and then, like, all that was just taken away. And, like, that's, I don't, even, I can't even watch that. Like, that's so, hits so deep, you know, and is so painful. And yet we've just seen, and with a lot of other people's stories, too, like, that young suffering club, we call it, is just uh, not one you'd ever want to join, but it, there's really the treasures of darkness there, it says in Isaiah, we found those because so many times you look back on life and it's just regrets. And it takes you getting to your deathbed to have an awareness of everything else falling away and you looking back and thinking you really wish you had done it differently. And I think if you get that sort of glimpse of that deathbed early on, you don't have to live in a way that you're going to regret later. Do you have any regrets, either one of you? Hmm, good question. Not yet. Maybe ask me <laughs> in a few more years. Not, not. Um, I'm 35, and um, no. And you know what? What I kind of thought when I was a little girl would be, if I think about what I thought my life would look like as a 35-year-old. I mean, I didn't think 35, but I thought young mother. It would be almost zero as it is today. But it's just, I mean, a lot of the things we've been talking about that um, come into play and make you realize, like, I don't want what I thought I did when I was a little girl. Like, I want this story. And that's wild to say out loud, but it's true. I don't think, like, I wish this. I re regret that I didn't end up not having a stroke. That's stupid. Like... This is my life, and it's awesome. I think, too, when you're 
retelling your story so often, you just see God, what he was doing in the middle of it. And so even the things that maybe you wish you would have done differently, I'm not talking about things totally out of your control, but things that you chose. That, this like, is Jay's great wisdom. I'm not the same at all, but he, like, after anything in life happens, positive or negative in any way, he moved on. Like, it was what it was, and now we move on. And I stew and obsess, and was it right? Did we, did we do it? Did we, did we do a good job, everybody? And he was like, who cares? Move on. And to his great wisdom, I want to be more that way when I grow up. What do you stew on? anything wait did did she think i meant this when i said this or did they think that about me or just stupid issues from growing up in the deep south honestly many times (laughs) i want them to think i'm really sweet and they need to like me and be happy with the job i've done i am competent don't you know and he's like, oh, whatever, who cares what they think? Like, get over it. And it's, I mean, you're kind about it, but it's much more mature attitude. Well, we're both firstborns. And I mean, like yeah. I said, as much as Catherine takes the lead in some ways, like I'm I'm very type A too, you know, and I kind of manifest it a little differently. But I think there's a lot of like that people-pleasing thing that happens with firstborns and high-achieving people um, that we you know, there's still remnants of that in our lives. Oh, and yeah. probably in some ways, um, you know, if there are any regrets, it might be tied to, when you say regrets tied to relational brokenness, not with us, but with... Right. No, I, I think one of, one of our regrets I can think of in life is being so naive and giving people such a great benefit of the doubt and like, you should have seen the writing on the wall here. And that's that's not true. That's not actually a regret because I don't want to change that about us at all. But it is it is kind of sad to to see. Oh well, maybe that was really obvious five years ago, and you just didn't pick up on it. Yeah, I mean, I think we move forward in in a certain way based on just our experiences, and sometimes, um, yeah, the relational part in terms of community relationships can be, um, I wouldn't say collateral damage even. I think it's just life. It's hard to know, wait, is this, are we having like some relational breakdown because of like what happened with us or like our lifestyle of travel and things like this? Or is it like, that's just life and that's what happens. You've lost friends. Yes. There's been people in your life that have gone away because of this. Several, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, um, I think that's been a great just question mark in our life. Is it us? Is it them? Is it the stroke? Is it just humans trying to do life together and having different needs and different seasons? And, um, you know, we had this really thriving community uh, of early marriage in L.A., our church. We were part of a kind of a young marrieds group. And, you know, the people you meet at 22 aren't always the people you would do life with at 35. You know, it's different. And much less you add catastrophic medical catastrophe and just literally like changing who you are after having gone through the young suffering like we were talking about. And and there's a rub sometimes with um, the person you used to be in the community you used to be in and trying to find your place and your way again. And... 
So again, this is all kind of in the conversation of regrets. I mean, if there's any regrets, there's maybe just some of about how relationships have evolved and how some have gone away and um, just the emotional strings attached to what that looks like when you think somebody's always going to be there and then they're not and um, the role that you played in it or didn't play in it. Um, so again, we're not immune to that. You know, we're not in some like, oh, everybody's super like giving you a pass because you had this stroke or because, you know, or, you know, the worst part is that then you start to think, oh, this thing in my life that I didn't have any control over, like, was the catalyst of the end of something. And then you start to play that sort of shame game or guilt game. And, um, um, and that certainly bleeds over into your kids and things like that. You know, just like, what, how, oh, am, I, yeah. how am I ruining them with the thing that's going right. on in my life? And, um, and certainly the whole, like, don't take too much blame or <laughs> credit, credit for your kids is, right. I think, is right. And, and it's just an act of grace when, when your kids sort of see the best things and the worst things in you and, and they know that you're a real human <laughs> and they go forth in their own path, sort of yeah. not just, you know, not too much as a reflection or reaction, but it's just them, themselves knowing that they're loved and known, um, experiencing their parents sort of like a, a little, um, you know, sort of many version of who God is as their father, you know, and and yet there's still there's constantly just, gosh, did the thing that we did, you know, in that crisis period of our life affect our kid forever? What we often forget when pain comes into our life is the collateral damage that some people will be uncomfortable with this new normal. Now, as I think about Jay and Catherine's story, none of this was their fault. They had no say in it. And yet the reality is things changed for them and their friendships. When people drift out of our lives, when you think someone's going to be there and they're not, and the friendships change and the relationships change, that's all part of the journey. It's often said that pain will sift us to reveal something true about who we are. But here's another important thought. Pain will also sift our relationships. And we discover the difference between who is a friend and who's an acquaintance. And we're not meant to judge those who might not stick around. That's not the point. But the sifting is a gift to reveal our closest, most treasured loving relationships. And though there's sadness when people leave our lives, there's also a profound sense of gratitude for those who stay. And now as we close this session, we spend just a couple more minutes talking about the impact that this event has had on their children. I think every parent feels that to a degree. Um, so for sure, and um, that's real. I mean, we wonder all the time, James, our oldest is a super picky eater. And I'm like, is that because his mom didn't eat for the first year he was alive? Is there a connect? I mean, that will likely haunt me till the day I die. I don't know. And yet we 
probably all feel that as parents, A, and B, what James is gaining in this picture far outweighs what he is not <laughs> gaining. I mean, to see a man hang in there with a woman and a marriage work in our situation is extremely unique for a kid to grow up with that. And to see the level of service of his daddy to his mama is pretty powerful. And um, yeah, a lot of the things that he is gaining that we couldn't even teach if we, sorry, we couldn't teach if we tried. Um, they're just byproducts of watching his life are um, probably much more significant than anything he's lost, honestly. Well, would you want him not to see? Or is he like, I wish he didn't, wish our kids didn't have to see this? Um, hmm. Well, I fainted um, a few months ago, the, right before the hospital stay we talked about, and I just hit the ground right there, holding my morning coffee. Just mommy hits the ground and passed out. And I actually threw that coffee on our two-year-old, but praise God, it was cold. <laughs> drank it so thank goodness I threw cold coffee on the baby and um, yeah both my kids are standing there watching mommy laid out on the ground while daddy's reviving her and I mean that's like a horrific scene from a movie I would never want my kids to deal with like is mommy okay now she has to go to the hospital I mean James walked in five years ago to the room I was in when I had broken my leg and I'm screaming in pain and they're calling 911 and James sweetly asked me, I can get a Band-Aid for that mommy and you know, my leg is um, broken. And that's horrifying. And yet um, I have this deep sense that this is crafting some very unique character in a child and lessons I would never have wanted to him to necessarily know, or I guess no, I would want him to learn to, to in theory learn those lessons, but I would never want him to really see those lessons lived out in his life, I guess you'd say. So that again is a gift um, of the sadness and darkness of our lives. I want to say a special thanks to Jay and Catherine for sharing their story. I don't know how you can listen to their story and what they shared and not feel more hope for the world and for your own story. The sense of light shining out of their suffering. So inspiring. If you want to connect with them more, check out their website, hopeheals.com. You can see uh, more, hear more about their story, uh, see some amazing videos and learn how to support what they're doing uh, in the world and um, helping others find hope in their hurts. And also make sure to check out their book, Hope Heals, A True Story of Overwhelming Loss and an Overcoming Love. It's available at Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. And I want to say thanks to you guys for your reviews and comments about fun therapy. It's, it literally is something I check uh, almost on a daily basis now because I just love hearing from you guys. And um, so 
If you haven't subscribed, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Um, leave a rating or a review. It's a way of kind of raising your hand saying, I'm with you and I love being a part of the Fun Therapy family. Uh, make sure to tell your friends, email some friends, uh, share it online. That really helps. And don't forget about the Five Dates Workbook. For couples that I mentioned uh, at the top, don't work on your problems, work on your togetherness. FiveDates.co. You can all see a picture of my wife, Jennifer. And I want to say thanks to Sleeping at Last for providing the music. Ryan, you are a special person. Uh, your music is beautiful and wonderful. And if you have enjoyed listening to the music as part of this podcast, make sure to check out sleepingatlast.com and also uh, check out Ryan's music on iTunes. Fun Therapy, as you know, is a proud member of the Relevant Podcast Network. Woohoo! For more shows from the Relevant Podcast Network, check out relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow me at Mike Foster 2000, Mike Foster 2000 on Instagram. Or you can hop on over to my website at Mike Foster TV or secondchance.org. Now I say, friends, thanks again for listening. Keep the emails and the tweets and the reviews and the comments coming. I read them all. I appreciate it. I try to respond to everything. And remember, no matter what has happened in your story, that your setbacks can become your superpowers. And honesty is always the best policy. I'm Mike Foster, and we'll see you next time on the Fun Therapy Podcast. Thank you.